So, what was big at Gen Con this year? My name's Jonathan, and this is the Snakes Cast, the podcast for people who don't know as much about games as they'd like to know. I didn't get to go to Gen Con this year, but uh, this week we're going to talk about the new releases from the greatest game show on earth. Welcome back to the Snakes Cast, everyone. With me this week are Scott Moyle. Hello. And David Kingsman. Yeah, hello. So the three of us were all fans of games well before we started working as gurus at Snakes and Lattes. We all got super excited about new releases coming out. We'd follow the news and be super keen to try all the new stuff. Has your feeling about seeing all the new Gen Con releases changed since you started working at Snakes? I think maybe I look at things through a slightly more cynical eye. Um, mm. A game that 10 years ago would have just had me jumping up and down with excitement now might be tempered with a bit of, oh, but someone's going to want to get taught that. <laughs> or, oh, the bits are going to get lost under a table and someone's going to step on them. Or, or oh, there's no way we're ever going to get a copy of that for the library. Yeah, it's too expensive and there are too many bits. Uh, yeah, I like that, but it doesn't fit in our shelving, so I'm never going to see. Oh, okay. But it's still it's still like fun to get excited about about the Gen Con stuff. There's one in particular from this year that we're certainly never opening for Cafe Play that I'm certainly buying. All right. I can't wait to hear about it. Uh, David, you haven't had as uh, much time uh, to get all cynical and jaded yet. As no. Uh, <laughs> uh, have you noticed any change yet in the, uh, the time you've been with us so far? Not really. Um, I think, you know, when somebody uh, sort of spoke to me about when I started working for Snakes, uh, the thing I always say is that I managed to turn my obsession into a career and not hate it. Oh, um, and I think that I've kind of that feeds into this as well, which is I have the same excitement about all the games as I had beforehand because I uh, I developed my gaming taste almost immediately when I started gaming, and so my reactions were always sort of you know um, possibly unfairly a little bit cursory towards party games and a little much more interested in the big heavy strategy, and that hasn't changed at all except for the we're never going to get that on the shelf reaction which is i just you know there's a list of games uh, and i have a small list of games that i really want to try that were from gen con that i know we're never going to have in the cafe uh and so it's my 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 sort of easiest trial mechanism is put to one side for those and i have to find another way of giving them a go if i'm going to kind of sink the money fair enough all right so the hype machine obviously is a big deal every publisher out there that's putting games out at gen con needs their games to make a big splash what is it about a particular game that causes it to get attention when it's just one amidst this huge flood of new titles coming out at the hottest part of the releasing season? Well, the uh, the last Gen Con I went to, which was a few years ago, there was one big release that everybody, when they opened the doors to the uh, the dealer room at the beginning of the first day, everybody rushed this particular booth and grabbed all they could carry of absolutely anything, even if it wasn't a combination of items that made sense. They just, it was like Tickle Me Elmo Frenzy. Um, And they lined up, I believe the line wrapped twice around that dealer's uh, booth, which was a big enough dealer that they had a huge booth. And they were sold out, I think, 45 minutes into day one. Wow. How did they manage to get that much of what happened? That game, with a combination of Big Deal Publisher... Big deal license, um, incredibly sexy bits, great graphic design and great components, and uh, innovative mechanics and a collectability model just to just to put the cherry on that poisonous <laughs> Sunday um, was uh, Fantasy Flight Games X Wing. Uh, Everybody just lost their yep. sanity over this thing. It was <laughs> nuts, um, and I think that's sort of an interesting I mean, that that just checked every single box. Right, Fantasy Flight could announce a big, sexy release, and it would sort of do that. 
uh, a very exciting Star Wars thing might might do that. A game that's mechanically really cool, like uh, say a new Legacy game that I'm very excited about, uh, might do that. <laughs> example, um, yeah. But that was just the perfect storm of everybody lost it. It was wild. <laughs> What are some other things that can get a, a really big attention for a game in this big time? I think unique mechanic nowadays, because we've seen almost everything, mm. and yet we haven't. Uh, and whenever somebody actually manages to come out with something that hasn't been seen before, I would imagine that's... Uh, there was one that was um, announced. I don't think it was released, this Gen Con. Uh, oh, goodness. I want to get this name right. I think it's Response Lab Alpha. Okay. Um, that's going to be coming out, and it's uh, all about curing a virus, and you're curing it by block building on the table, and when you build the block successfully, you built the virus. So Jenga meets Pandemic? Kind of-ish, but um, they were saying on the... I was listening to the um, the Dice Towers episode from Gen Con, and they, they interviewed the, um, the publisher, and they were saying that there's been things have been added into the game, uh, like other players will be banging on the table while you are trying to build your blocks. <laughs> and so really? there is a real-time reactive element where the virus, quote-unquote, is fighting back at you. And Tom so Vassell, <laughs> right? And Tom Vassell said it's one of the most unique games he's ever heard of or ever come across, and it's like that is going to attract attention. We saw a couple of games this year that managed to stand out in that particular way. We'll be talking about that. absolutely, yeah. But I think I think that's got to be a big one. Anything new in the in the industry, Legacy would have done it when it, it you know once people clocked what it's doing, and I think it did succeed in doing it this year in terms of mm-hmm. the games that we're going to come onto that have that mechanic built within them. Okay, so what were some of the ones that we sort of knew months ahead of Gen Con were going to be massive? Obviously, there's Seafall. Seafall, yeah. I mean, the, which any, Scott has alluded to already. I'm <laughs> just really stoked for that. I mean, it's a legacy game, which... And we've I, talked I, about we, Pandemic Legacy on the show before. And Risk Legacy uh-huh. was great, and, you know, Legacy, Legacy, Legacy. But also, it's set <laughs> in a time and place, a fictionalized version of a time and place that's really cool. Um, that Age of Sail, exploring the new world thing, except it's a new, new world every time you play it. The fact that you actually get to explore and put stickers on the map when you discover islands and continents and stuff, and the map is actually really going to be your own world that you have discovered. Yeah. Kind of ridiculous. I'm pretty mm-hmm. excited about that. Me too. So uh, and Anything I'll, legacy, quite frankly, is... Pretty is, much. Anything that Rob Davio does yeah. kind of winds up... Although, interestingly, and we'll touch on this in the next segment once we've done the big games, but mm-hmm. there's a legacy game coming out that he was not involved with. Oh! oh. Uh, but, well, that will... Okay. Oh, from it. That's also, sure it's also not a release. It's an announcement. But Codenames so, Legacy. <laughs> It's a Target exclusive. So then, of course, we've got Scythe. Uh, yes. This is a game that just, just the name will cause any uh, you know hardcore game enthusiasts in the audience to start drooling immediately. Mm-hmm. For those who aren't aware and don't have that same Pavlovian reaction, uh, just do a search on Scythe box cover and look at that image of a sort of a pastoral field in the early uh, first decade of the 20th or second decade of the 20th century uh, with peasants out in the Ukraine or somewhere tilling their fields and so on while giant steam-powered mechs are belching black mm-hmm. smoke into the sky. Yep. The theme so, of this yeah. is so interesting to me. I, it Actually, the, it's this is utterly unrelated and probably it's totally unfair comparison, but <laughs> I saw that and I remember when I was about 14 or 15, one of my friends gave me a VHS that had uh, episodes of Gundam Wing on it. And one of the first things that I saw on that was just somebody walking through a forest and all of a sudden a bunch of mechs just blasted through it. And I had that kind of nostalgic reaction of, oh my God, this theme is amazing. 
And from everything I've heard, it's exactly the kind of heavy European-style resource management with just a dash of combat in it that made Eclipse such a big thing. Mm. It actually, uh, there were a couple of guys in at the cafe the other day with their own copy, Ooh. a Kickstarted copy, so Ooh, just outrageously ultra deluxe one. piles of metal coins. Oh. I think it came with an actual <laughs> full-scale Ukraine to play. That's a lie. <laughs> um, the, that'd be too big. But Full-scale uh, mech. Yeah, it, it was pretty outrageous, but... Uh, they were uh, they were showing me some of the interface, and it actually shares some. Uh, it appears to share some interface uh, details with Eclipse in terms mm. of you know it throws a lot at you, but it's really good at telling you what's Eclipse next. Eclipse kind of wrote the book on how to design the components for a really complicated game to make it not a chore to handle all those details. I was really impressed to see some of those ideas recur. And awesome. I haven't I haven't played Eclipse, but I believe it's copied the player board mechanic of like as you do things. That's you take exactly a cube it. off the player board and reveal. Yeah, Terra Mystica thing does that as yeah. well. Yeah, it's, it's, a lot of the heavy euros are learning from this and making them less difficult to play. I'm less of a heavy euro player but i have a feeling scythe might be my gateway in neat so and then of course there are the licensed games we mentioned how star wars can basically own anything if they get a big enough release with the right kind of stuff going so here we had a couple of star trek games we had star trek ascendancy which is like eclipse with cardassians and the federation and Mm -hmm. like that um and star trek panic (laughs) you guys have played castle panic of course Mm -hmm. or dead panic yeah sure so instead of a cabin or a castle in the middle you've got the enterprise with little bits that clip on to be like venting atmosphere and damage to the nacelles and stuff it's so cute. Yeah, I, I, I think that's going to be great. I just this, it's one of those things, and you move the ship around. I believe. Yep. And yeah, you, yeah, you turn it. Your shields you get turn it. blown up on one side of the ship. You just turn the ship round so that other shields are facing the the. Klingons off the starboard bow. Starboard bow. Yeah, that's um, going to be a lot of fun. an interesting one. I've heard some very mixed reviews about that. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to be an incredibly divisive game, and I haven't, I've not watched anything about it yet to sort of understand where that comes from. But some people are completely mad over it and some people came back saying yeah it just wasn't what I expected mm. so these days one of the biggest licenses out there of course is Game of Thrones and we have not had a effectively cafeable Game of Thrones game basically ever there was the one that was basically the redux of penguins with the cards <laughs> stacking in a pyramid and that was terrible had nothing to do with anything nothing uh, so then there was the board game completely unworkable as a cafe game because it's so complicated and then there's the uh, the card game now in its second edition which isn't bad um, but the, the deck building aspect does make that tricky. It looks like Game of Thrones, the Iron Throne may be finally a, a, a Game of Thrones game that we can bring to the tables at the cafe. It's mm-hmm. kind of a slightly streamlined version of Cosmic Encounter. Yeah, that's right. Yes, each of your planets, your Cosmic Encounter planets are individuals and you're right. trying to throw influence at them. Exactly. So you've, mm-hmm. if you're playing the Lannisters, you've got Cersei and Jaime and Tyrion and Tywin and Joffrey. And at the start of the game, you pick one and that's you. And that gives mm-hmm. you your unique racial Cosmic Encounter type power. And you're trying to get as much influence as you can over the other families at the table. And that sort of you know negotiation, ganging up type of thing really does suit, lend itself well, I think, yeah. to the theme. I think it's I, I'm I'm sort of I'm half I'm one foot in one foot out of Game of Thrones, mm. um, and I do believe that this will probably be better if you know Game of Thrones well. Oh, for sure. Um, just to understand the interactions better, but I think that the con- the concept for this is great, and if anything's going to be cosmic encounterish, Game of Thrones is perfect for it. There's uh, there's a new Harry Potter game, Hogwarts Battle. Apparently, it's a mm-hmm. deck builder. You guys heard about this one? I. Only only in passing, uh, but when the Big Book of Madness came out, it mm. struck me as a really good Harry Potter game in that your deck building and your deck is a spell book that you're adding pages to. Right. So seeing an actual Harry Potter deck builder where you're an individual building a, a collection of magic you know 
makes a lot of sense Actually, to me. Actually, this wasn't what I was referring to, but there's kind of a legacy aspect to this as well, which is mm. that you play through the books, and every time you come to a new book, you get new mechanics and new cards right. to play and with. the first couple of books are sort of like the tutorial levels. Yeah, and that's all in the box? It's all in the box, and then you get to a new... I, again, I was, I'm sort of taking info from the Dice Tower here. I don't know much about it myself, but one book introduces dice, and one book introduces a new method of combat, and it kind of changes up how... And it's completely resettable. Hmm. The cards are marked with which book they come from. So once you finish book seven, you can just split them all. It'd be a nightmare, but you can split them all back out again and put it back together. That's no worse than putting away one of the legendary games. Yeah, that's fair. And speaking of which, we've got Firefly and Big Trouble in Little China appearing in legendary deck building format. Yep. Yeah, Steve got his hands on both. I'm excited to, uh, particularly Firefly, because we're really itching for a good Firefly game. Hmm. Or for a great Firefly. There's a good Firefly game, but we haven't seen a great one yet. Yeah, Shiny Dice was not shiny. <laughs> Not so I shiny. heard nothing but bad things. I know we've got it in the archives and I haven't picked it up yet. Now let's take a look at some of the more low-key type of things. Uh, one that a lot of people were really surprised by and had a lot of fun with was a game that hadn't, they pro- most people probably hadn't heard of before Gen Con, something called Captain Sonar. Yes. So, all right, bear with me, folks. This is a four versus four team game. Where you got four people sitting on one side of the table, four people on the other side. You get this folded screen, this accordion fold screen, so that you can't see what's going on with the other team. And you've got a mat, and you've got a dry erase marker, and that's it. No dice, no bits, just a mat and a dry erase marker. Mm-hmm. Both teams are crews of a submarine. You've got your captain, you got your engineer, you got your first mate, you got your radio operator, and things get crazy in a big hurry uh what, what if, have you had the chance to see this one yet david i haven't seen much of it i've seen a lot of the hype um i've seen some of the artwork for things like the character cars and things mm-hmm. which look great i've read about some of the roles they they put up a tweet storm before um gen con began and every sort of week i think they would post up a new role and what it did that's um, a clever way of uh, generating hype for a relatively small publisher yeah. in the midst of this huge sea of releases absolutely but no this is one i'm really excited about i don't know enough about it i was just saying beforehand my my sort of comparison uh point to it is it kind of feels a bit like XCOM meets space cadets dice duel in the sense that you have these <laughs> very different roles but they're all fighting together as a team against and you can play it with less than four each uh, it's two to eight players, but it has to be at the very least a, a, a pairing. So it has to be uh, multiples of two, uh, and it just the whole concept of it sounds hilarious and amazing. A couple of concepts here. So the captain is the one who is moving around. You know, they've got like a battleship type board in front of them and a dry erase marker indicating where they've gone. They're not allowed to cross their own path mm-hmm. until they surface the sub. And every time they move, two things have to happen before they can move again. Number one, the engineer has to break a part of the ship. And the first mate has to start powering up one of the ship's systems. And once a system's been powered up enough times, they can use it, like the drone or the or a torpedo or the silent running or these things. And if enough bits of the same part of the ship break over on the other end, then the ship starts taking damage. Now, the thing is that since you're a submarine, you don't know where the other team is. They don't know where you are. But the fourth player on your team, the radio operator, is listening to the other team's captain. And make, marking down on their thing where, where the other ship is moving. If they can figure out a way to move the other player's route so that it doesn't pass through any islands, like, okay, Captain, I think they're here. 
Uh, so the captain is saying up, down, left, north, two, south, east, west. Yeah, right, but not giving coordinates, and you're figuring it out. Oh, that's clever. It's it yeah. really seems like quite something. I love the idea of this. I'm really looking forward to seeing how it plays out. Another one that's likely to uh, get a lot of use uh, at the cafe is Dead Last. Definitely. The the look of the art. Every, a new social deduction game can either be a huge thing or can wind up not amounting to much. But this one looks gorgeous and is a really clever concept. So up to 12 people can play it. Great. Mm-hmm. That's that's really nice being able to have a group that size. Everybody gets a color. You get a deck of colored cards. So if I'm orange, I get a deck of orange cards on the back. And then on the faces, I've got everybody else's color. So first thing, everybody decides who they're going to target. Pick a card, put it face down. One, two, three, we all show. Whoever gets picked by the most people, that player's the target. They're dead. Second thing. If you didn't pick one of the targets, if there's a tie, then all the tied players are targeted. If you didn't pick somebody who's an actual target, you're dead. Be part of the majority or die. Step three. If you picked your own color, you ambushed the people who are coming for you, and instead of you dying, you get to pick one of the people who came for you who dies. And fourthly, if you picked your own color and went for the ambush, and you weren't a target, you die. So it's a very quick game. Well, the actual game is in the 20, 30, 60 seconds before you pick a card, when the players are sort of silently gesturing to each other in various different ways, or maybe flashing a card from the bottom of their deck, or pointing to a part of their clothing that's a certain color, or sort of <laughs> jerking their eyes over a particular way. Um, that's the actual game. Right. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how that one does. And then there's the HMS Dolores. Have you seen this one? I haven't seen much about it. I know a bit about it because I playtest with Eric, and he's talked about it a couple of times. Um, it, I know, I know, I know. It's the Prisoner's Dilemma concept, yep. but beyond that, I don't know that much. So it's kind of a rock paper scissors thing. You put four cards out in front of you, and uh, you and another player are pirates, and you're going to decide how to divvy up this this loot. So you go one, two, three. Hold out a fist. That's war. That means I want everything. If you hold out your open hand, that means you're shaking hands. That's peace. That means let's split this two and two. You take the two in front of you. I'll take the two in front of me. If you hold out your thumb, that means I want first pick. I just want one. All I want is one, but I want first pick. That's it. And, uh, mm. and and the cards come in different suits with different numbers on at the end of the game. Whichever suit you got the most of scores for you. Whichever suit you got the least of scores for you. Okay. And that's yeah. it. It's, it's, it. It really seems like the sort of thing where you can mess people up by making them take stuff. Yeah. Yeah, the theme struck me as uh, a little dry. It's mm-hmm. a cargo ship that's washed up in, on, on the coast and you're, you're there to just pick up boxes of stuff. Um, so I feel like it might be a slightly tough sell. Even the name, HMS Dolores, doesn't sort of And the cover art much. doesn't do much for it either. Yeah. But Rock, Paper, Scissors, the loot sharing game? Yeah. I, I feel like this will be one of those games where I ask a table to trust me. It won't be yeah. the first game I teach them. But once I've shown them that I know what I'm talking about, this can be the second game. That reminds really me. Um, of all the games that, uh, that you've sort of seen, that you've heard about for Gen Con this year, which are there a lot of them, particularly the big ones, the big hyped ones, that are actually going to be all that useful for the cafe? I think there's a couple. Um, I'm just scanning. I've got a list that's five times as long as we have time for an episode four. <laughs> but there's a couple uh, definitely I think could be good. Fugitive uh, is uh, not a big one, but it's from the guys that made the Burgle Brothers, which made a big splash when it came out. Uh, and it's just a two-player card game. Uh, one player's a fugitive playing cards face down, trying to get out of town, and I think he wins if he gets them all down, and the other player's an agent who's trying to turn them back face up again by guessing what they are. And if they're ever all face up, the agent wins. And that's got a lot of cafe potential to it. Um, where's it gone? Speechless. I don't know if you've come across this one yet. Um, I haven't seen it, no. Arcane Wonders. I want to say Dice Tower Essential, but I'm not sure about that. Um, but it's a three-to-eight-player party game, and it's like phase three of Time's Up. 
uh, in the sense that you have 90 seconds to tell the, the other players thing. what six words are mm. by not saying a word. They can't talk either. They write the thing down on a dry erase board. If you get it right, you get two points. And if you get it wrong and someone else got the same wrong as you, you each get a point. So there's a nice little mechanic in that. And I think that could be a big one. Raids meets Dixit. I like it. Yeah. And then the last one I th- I, I've written down that I think... Well, there's Codenames Pictures, of course. Oh, that's um, going to kill for us. It's Vlad Fertel being a genius and, and just putting pictures on a Codenames deck. Um, but the last new one for me was a, a game by GameRight called Bring Your Own Book. Have you guys come across this? Yes. I feel like that can't be a cafe game because... I mean, asking people to have books is a lot. But I can see people who come to the cafe as regulars and know it's a thing doing it. That's possibly true. Or we might just, you know, hit a used bookstore and pick up a half dozen of, like, the worst Harlequin romances we can get our hands on. Or some really bad fantasy novels, or, like, let them have it that. Yeah. To explain, the idea of this is you very literally bring your own book. Uh, and you have a, a, a novel or whatever, uh, and uh, a card gets turned over with a prompt, and everyone has to try and find a sentence, a word, a paragraph in that book that matches the prompt. And as soon as one person does, they start a one-minute timer, and everyone else has that long to find it. If they don't find it within that time, they flip to a random page and read a sentence. Uh, and then it's like any of these games, the, the, the person who turned over the prompt judges, which is the best answer. Hmm. and that person gets a card certain number of cards wins based on player count but every time somebody gets three cards all the books move one to the left so if you brought your own book and thought you knew what you were doing as soon as you get three <laughs> cards you don't know what you're doing anymore because you get something <laughs> from the guy next to you I, I, it's, I agree it, it won't hit with people who come to the cafe not knowing about it but I think if people know about it and know we've got it I think it could be a good one I mean, in in a perfect world, it, it spurs like a new wave of people just you know having books. Oh my goodness, <laughs> that might be asking a I lot. I don't know, man. But like a boy can dream, okay? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's it for this week, folks. If you've got a topic you'd like to hear about on the show, tweet it to us at Snakescast or post it on the Snakes and Lattes Facebook page. David Scott, thanks for coming back to the show. Thank you. Thank you, sir. The Snakes cast is produced by P.T. Douglas, music is provided by Ben Sound. The opinions expressed on the show belong to the people in it and not the company behind it. Thanks for listening. Game on.